Join us for PR Safari, a podcast by Center for Public Relations. PR Safari, your ultimate guide to navigate the complex PR landscape in Africa. Find us at www.cpr.africa. Hello, my name is Chris Wangalua and with us today is Uavi Mungala, Head of Corporate Communication and Customer Experience at High Education Loans Board. So I'm a trained hotelier, actually. Okay. I uh, began my career in the hospitality industry. You know, there isn't really a degree for custom experience, but working in hospitality and training as a hotelier comes pretty close because that's DNA for customer experience. Yeah, it's just dealing with people, emotions, right? right. And, and, all and the that. industry is 24-7, 365. Yes. You get used to being uh, ready, and when people are on holidays, when you're busiest. That's how I started off. And then I went to banking at a time when banking was also looking to improve customer experience. Mm-hmm. And then turned out that also public sector was now looking to also improve customer experience. And now it's about citizen service delivery, just from your typical bank account, just looking at your bank account holders as customers. That's how I got into banking, not necessarily as a career banker but more of coming from a customer experience perspective. What is your customer's experience mm-hmm. when they are banking with you? Are you saying banks weren't doing very well around customer experience? I think if you look at from like the early 2000s, sometimes I listen to my folks. My mom saying, oh, you know how the bank used to close at 3 p.m. and open at 9 a.m. What? I know, right? You, you <laughs> didn't even think about that. Yeah. You know? So accessibility was a whole different ball game longer hours, more channels. So I think banks needed to just rethink how they engage their customers. And so there was a deliberate effort for banks to look at customer experience. And interestingly enough, Mm. they were actually deliberately recruiting from the hotel industry. Because? Because it was a default for, you know, it's in your DNA. You know how it is when you walk into a hotel or a nice restaurant? Yeah. Um, and so it was a default, you know, setting in terms of service uh, delivery. And so then banking in the early 2000s was deliberately recruiting from the hotel industry or those who have got experience in the hospitality industry. That's when contact centers were being rolled out and departments of customer experience were being set up. Exciting times. Were they even called customer experience? They were was called customer care. Yes. But now it was it was early 2000 so it was transitioning to customer service so it was really about a contact center you know and customers being able to reach the bank at their convenience and they moved to customer experience similarly like about mid 2000s if you look at 2012 2013 2014 i think really with the new government in 2013 2014 that's when huduma centers were being set up and government was now really looking to improve citizen service delivery public sector was upping their game from about 2013 2014 and so 2015 i moved to public sector as an opportunity now coming into public sector I kind of married that role. So I had now the customer experience, which is about 80% of my work. And then now there's the corporate communication. Let's tie sustainability to communication. In context of where I'm at, and because I work at Higher Education Loans Board, we have embedded sustainability within our strategic plan. But more importantly, we actually have a pillar in our strategic plan that is focused on sustainable financing. Uh because we are looking at running a revolving fund 
mm. and reduce our reliance on government and the exchequer. And for us, sustainable financing is really about running those revolving funds. Uh, revolving fund in terms of when you get your portion of your loan, then pay it forward. So then we can empower the dreams of another uh, future. You cannot really just put up a billboard or have a conversation around saying, oh, you know, we are running, we are running sustainable financing and it's a revolving fund. You know, we Kenya are benefit. Be like, pillar number 17. I know, right? SDG number 17. They'll yes. be like, what are you talking about? And so where my role in communication comes in is really about making that conversation relevant to you as a beneficiary or as or a stakeholder and i'll give an example kindly if you're running a loan recovery campaign how you packaging your messaging what hashtags you're using we introduced the tagline in 2016 of empowering dreams mm-hmm. everybody knows we do higher education finance yes but what's a bigger picture so if i come to you around the fact that you repay your loan and you empower the dream of yet another kenyan mm-hmm. that is sustainable financing yes. but said in a way that actually uh, you can identify with relatability relatability fantastic and so the campaigns that we have run will either be around 22 lipe help that's the one that we ran in 2018 we actually mm-hmm. won uh, a digital brand of the year award for that campaign that's for prsk no that was digital media awards okay for prsk we actually got consumer relations of the year last year 2022 okay for the 100 percent penalty weaver campaign that we ran and that one we actually called it kamilisha malipoya help so Mm -hmm. from a relatability perspective then you need to speak the language that they're speaking and language that they understand and also, when you move from just the communication, the customer experience bit is now what kicks in in terms of how are you then engaging that customer. What has worked for us is leveraging technology because when I look at my target audience, they are largely within youth. So our portals, our landing pages, we're able to um, use those to engage our customers. I think for me, it's that linkage between that sustainability conversation from a sustainable financing perspective and communication comes in to make it relatable to your target audience. Customer experience comes in to make sure that the experience I have with you at the touch point is what they're looking for. And if they do experience any challenges, then how are you handling that? How are you handling the feedback? What are you doing about it? That's what then you run the bigger conversation around. I think also for uh, organizations, largely the ones that have wanted to give back to society, has been more of CSR. And then they call that sustainability sometimes. I right, and, I, and, and it's not. Yeah. I think it's an aspect of, but you know. Is it even? Yes, depending on the activities that you're doing. You have actually reminded me um, there is a panel discussion. Actually, a conversation that I moderated at the last PRSK conference, um, and it was, you know, just really about what Mombasa Cement is doing in the community and really amazing stories. But when we engaged, uh, you're engaging with the audience and, you know, with PR practitioners, a lot of us are still stuck at CSR. Mm-hmm. I can bet you if we did a dipstick, Good you to know, know, people are still having CSR policies rather than sustainability policies. And that's why you had me saying that, you know, in more recent years, I think is when we are truly having sustainability conversations. Yes. Um, And we have to give it time. We have to give it time for people to catch up. 
But I think as PR practitioners, we need to challenge ourselves so then we can have, uh, we can begin to have that conversation. I'm not going to kid you. I chair the sustainability committee at work and it's a lot of work, you know, just trying to understand, trying to report according to your global standards like uh, the Global Reporting Initiative, um, GRI standards, or trying to understand the UN Global Compact and the 10 principles that you should adhere to uh, with regards to the UN Global Compact and how to report on that. You know, they've got this communication on progress. It's not a walk in the park. Okay. You need commitment for that. And so that's a reason why I say that, you know, we, we need to give it time. Maybe time plus effort in terms of de- deliberate because there's time and then, you know. There's doing nothing. Just, there's doing nothing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, as a lady, and you've mentioned to me, you've had experiences of sexism in the peer practice, and I'm just wondering how. Yeah, I mean, sexism, if I take a look at it in specifically in, in PR, and even in customer experience, if you're not careful, is that as women, we will tend to be seen with a lens of being flower girls, quote-unquote. Was that then or even now? I think it's always been there. Okay. Personally, I've faced it throughout my career, you know, where people will underestimate you and they will think that um, you're there from a tokenism perspective, you know, female gender. You didn't deserve it. Right, before they even give you an opportunity to be able to show what it is that you're capable of. I have experienced that whether it's in the hospitality industry, whether it is in banking, and even in public sector. And so then if you're not very clear about what it is that you're coming to deliver, then you will get caught up in that particular situation. But it's a really unfortunate space because then many times you have to work twice or thrice as hard as your male counterparts. And yet in customer experience and in PR, it's mostly female. I've observed that in many agencies, the ladies are majority. Mm-hmm. It almost seemed like everything was okay from where I sat. You were experiencing male privilege. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what does that mean? I think both males and females have privileges. Think about it. When you come to a lift, an elevator, a lift, you're waiting for the lift and it's busy office um, and there's all these people who are looking to get into the lift. Do you think about who's in the lift? Do you, Chris? I literally never imagined who else is here. Do you know that as as women, we actually look subconsciously at who's in the lift before you get in? If it's all men, we don't get in. And especially if it's men that you don't know. Okay. You actually are going to think about it. And you get in, maybe it's in a workplace and you see, oh, okay, this is a colleague. And you go like, oh, hi, 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 Chris. And, yes. you know, you, you get in with some level of confidence. Yes. You're in a, you know, strange place and this, it's all men and they're all strangers. You go like, uh, mm-hmm. you feel uncomfortable about getting into a space like that. Male privilege. You don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to worry about, you know, certain spaces that you're going to get into or a matatu that has got only men. Women will worry about, you know, things like that. Tell me how this is applicable in, in our space, PR. PR, for me, from a male privilege perspective, then you find that you might be fewer men or you might be fewer, um, even in customer experience, the majority of the practitioners are female. And as you get into senior positions, the men who are in senior positions are treated with a lot more 
you know, respect and acceptance. Women, again, have to prove themselves. Like I said, I have experienced this, where I get even into a new role, and at first they'll be like, oh, does she know what she's doing? There will just be a default, oh, let's, let's wait and see what she okay. has to offer. And others, outrightly, just looking at you like and giving you the vibe of you're a flower girl. And then a year later, you prove them wrong and they go like, oh, oh, wait a minute. She actually does know what she's doing. Like I do bring value to the table. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why I repeatedly, and I say this to anyone that I mentor or in my team or anything like that, I will be deliberate about what value do I bring. Let's not get into a space where we have got vanity metrics defining what it is that we have to deliver. And PR gets a bad rap because then people make it look like, oh, that's PR. You know, so it's like you're not doing anything important. Yes. You are just like putting out fires or trying to make someone who has actually done a wrong thing look good. Yes. You know, uh, and that's not the whole point. So I find it very strange when we default to vanity metrics. And yet we have got a really good opportunity to understand what the business needs are and add value to that and participate fully so that then those that you're working with and the business finds you valuable and they want you to sit at the table because then you understand the business and you're helping them meet and exceed their targets. Is it a question of maybe men do it and they don't know they're doing it? Or do, do you feel they do it deliberately? It's interesting because culture also comes into place in mm. certain things. I've managed teams or led teams for mm. more than 15 years now. Yeah. And it's interesting depending on where you come from and how you are raised. That colors your view in terms of how you're going to address women. When I was working in banking, I do remember... I'm the customer service manager, um, female. My two assistant managers were female. Our business banking manager was female. Our personal banking manager was female. The branch manager was female. And the way we were sitting, you know, was essentially the flow of the banking hall was getting us into, you know, the branch manager's office that was at the corner. Mine was nearest the entrance. And so this mze walks in and it's probably you know, maybe late 60s, maybe, or thereabouts, and maybe 70 or thereabouts. I think he was, you know, yeah, he was, he was Amze. And he walks into the receptionist and, you know, asks to, to be assisted. He's referred to the customer service manager. And, you know, he goes there and he sees it's females who are seated there. And he goes back to the receptionist and says, Apo hakuna mtu. Hakuna mtu. I didn't find anybody there. So the receptionist is like, what? No, but this, they're there. You know, she, she walks the guy and says, you know what? Yeah, there, there, there is. <laughs> she, she, can, she can serve you. Uh -huh. And, you know, he's like, look, that, that girl will serve me and solve my problem. How is she going to assist me? That time, I'm in my late 20s, early 30s. And it was like, what? No find me somebody else. And you know, we had to find a balance in terms of having a conversation with the old man. And he was looking at it from a lens of his culture. Yes. And I've seen it translate to colleagues who might not be that old man's age of 70s, but are younger. And you will have a conversation with them as 
their head of department or their boss or their manager or something like that and they won't it's like they're not hearing mm-hmm. what it is that you're saying but if you walk with a male who might not even be as senior as you but is more senior than them and they repeat exactly what you said they will hear it sinks and it's really very interesting so there's that lens and that's why i said that if you're going to talk about sexism and handling this in in the workplace then we have to appreciate that men also will need to participate in this conversation yes but i think if we take a look at it from the perspective of understanding what causes this in in the workplace then there will be issues like culture that you can have a conversation yes. with someone in terms of look you are looking at this through a specific lens and you will need to manage that on the other hand this is outright bad behavior you know and that's the reason why workplaces have got you know sexual harassment policies and things like that to be able to deter such behavior yeah. now some of it might not even fall into the category of sexual harassment but it's sexism it's thinly veiled you can't quite put a finger on it you can't quite accuse someone of it but they're just undermining you by virtue of them being a male and you being a female you know and you haven't given them any reason to do that but that's their default setting yeah until then they go like oh wait you can actually get this job done oh you, you're a pretty girl so i'm not sure that you can actually get this done i always look at it in terms of as a head of department am i going to shield uh, my team from you know those circumstances as much as possible making it zero tolerance we will not tolerate that kind of conversation because i could get up to my level from a seniority perspective and forget you know to hold the umbrella yes onto my juniors and those who are getting into the space and turning a blind eye to it and say you know what i survived you figure it out by yourself no it's important to hold the the umbrella and and see how to to shield the teams where they need themselves as women to hold themselves to account then i'll have to remind them that you know you have to deliver and prove this wrong it's not all doom and gloom i have worked with bosses and male bosses who've really been very supportive it starts from the top how is your leadership setting the tone and when they set the tone then it helps in terms of uh, setting that agenda I have worked with amazing bosses who have been male and who've given me the opportunity to be able to literally think outside the box like blow the box up. I had a former boss in banking who who um told us at the point of being onboarded into the new department he said you know what nobody's going to give you power. They're not going to come and say oh yeah here wavi here is power in a nice envelope sealed you can open yes. it. No 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 no. You must step up. you must get out there grab it unless you create top of mind awareness there's nobody who's going to see anything that you are doing i do know of someone who runs a communication agency and he was telling me one time he was running interviews and he had the three um top right you know that he was he was listening to and there's one person that he was like this person is so not a fit for this organization by virtue of how rigid they were and you know when they said this is a no go zone no this is not going to work for me and they're like well that's that's not the way we work here we work with a little bit flexibility yes if 
this other person requires support or we've got a huge project for a client and I might be in the research section but the creative and production team need all hands on deck. Yes. Then everybody is going to step up and get into that space so then we can all deliver for the client. And so when when he was interviewing her and she was like, nope, me, my scope is this and I'm not going to do that. This is what I, and, and don't ask me to do that because I will not step up and do that. Those yeah. are my boundaries. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, next. Not because she did not do well in terms of what was required of the job. She did. But from the culture that he has in his organization, he said she was not going to be a good fit. Because then we could really be needing everybody to come on board. And she just goes like, no. And so I'm not going to allow somebody to come in that doesn't fit within this particular culture. So you're right. You know, selecting the person based on are they a good fit. Okay. Thank you for coming to this podcast. And uh, we hope to have you many more times. Thank you for hosting. Mm -hmm.